Hey, what's up, guys? It's your boys, John Lee. And Jack Coughlin. And welcome to another very special episode of Courtside Eclipse Nation podcast. We've been on an insane hot streak lately, and we haven't stopped now. Today, we are joined by LA Clippers play-by-play commentator, Brian Seaman. Brian, thank you for joining. How are you? Oh, I'm great. It's great to talk to you guys again. As I start to ramp up now, this is it. Now we're in, in middle end of August and uh, a month from now or so, it's it's media day. So I'm starting to get get my tires warm for the, for a season that I think is going to be a lot of fun for everybody. Yeah, and thank you again. This is actually our second time meeting. Jack and I actually met you outside the men's room. Uh, we waited for you to come out because I told Jack, I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, Jack, I tried to meet this guy three times and I've been denied every time. And he's like, okay, let's just wait. So we met you and you're like the nicest guy. So it's kind of funny. The first time I met you is also the first day I met Jack. So kind of really cool that we're all together again. Just I re- camping I outside the, the bathroom. I do. I remember. I want to say it was like in February or March. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, uh, yeah, right outside the men's room. My hands were wet, but I did forget to wash them. So I apologize. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I'm gross. I've got kids. That's the only way they laugh with bathroom humor. It's all right. Jack's a kid. So same, same with me. Same with me. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, thank you again for joining us. Um, about to get into the season, but I kind of, before we talk about the Clippers and season, I kind of want to talk about you and ask you about yourself. Um, obviously you love basketball. You're a Kansas fan. Did you go to Kansas, by the way? I did. I went to Kansas. Okay. So you went to a big basketball school. You end up um, all of these years later working for the Clippers. So you're obviously a big basketball fan. You love it. What were you? the Brian Seaman playing days like when you were younger as a basketball player? Um, Well, there's not a lot of records of them. I didn't get into a lot um, of games. I was tall for my age. So I, you know, back in the days, so I was in high school during the nineties and back Mm -hmm. in those days, if you were tall, you were playing center and I hated center. I, my favorite player in the world was and is magic Johnson. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to be magic. I wanted to throw no look passes and, you know, uh, full court length bounce passes. That's what I wanted to do, but I was never able to play that position. And so my playing days were frustrating and I was, I became a pretty good three point shooter. So I kind of like to tell people I was ahead of my time as kind of a stretch four or a center that could shoot threes. But the reality of it is I just never tried. I didn't, um, I didn't practice enough away from practice. I didn't put it in the time for weights and all that kind of stuff. So my playing days were short, but I always knew this is what I wanted to do. I knew this since I was in second grade and I was lucky to go to a high school that had a radio station. And so uh, I remember that first week of practice at the varsity level, I was like, dude, these guys are good and big and strong. I don't, I don't even know some of the words they're using about like defenses and offense. So I went in, I turned in my uniform and uh, I went straight. I became the next week I was the sports director at the, at the student station. And I called those games of the team that I was trying out for and did that the last two years. We won a championship, uh, my final, my senior season and you now the rest, as they say. So I always kind of knew that this was going well. I wanted this, I should say, to be my my destination. And I got lucky to get there for sure. Wow. that. I feel like you're cheating and looking at our notes because that was a perfect segue into what I was going to ask next. I was going to ask, when did you know you want to be a broadcaster? And you kind of just brought it up like that. Um, is there a certain like thing you that like one moment when you said, hey, I, I think that's what I could really do. Were you watching like a game one day and then realizing, hey, I could do that? Or was it like when you're like, I don't 
really know if I want to keep playing, but when, when was that spark that hit you that said, I could do this? I, well, it wasn't play by play initially. I was in second grade and one of the, we had three second grade classes and one of the second grade teachers was dating the local sports anchor at uh, an NBC station in Des Moines, Iowa, which is where I grew up. And it was kind of like career day. And he came in and talked about his job about, and this is all I heard. I'm sure there were other things that I heard. I'm on TV. I talk to athletes. I go to games and then I'm on TV again. And I'm like, that's the job. Why, why would I not want to do that? I love basketball. I love all that stuff. So I'm going to go, I'm going to, that's what I want to do is be an anchor. And back in the days when I was growing up, NBA was not readily available, certainly not in Des Moines, Iowa. And I think I was at a friend's house and he was watching uh, an NBA finals game, which back in those days, how old I am, it was on tape delay. And it was the Celtics and the Lakers. And I saw Magic Johnson play and it changed my DNA on the spot. Like I was struck by lightning watching him play. I'd already played the game of basketball, but I just didn't follow the pro league that much. And this was right around the time Jordan came in the league as well. And so the league just mushroom clouds. And I was like, all I want to do is talk NBA basketball. That's, that's all I want to do with the rest of my life. What can I do? And so watching those old games on CBS, I was like, how do I become an announcer? That's what I want to, I just want to talk about the NBA all day, every day. And I mean it, that, that was when I was in second, third grade and I, every decision I pretty much made from that point on uh, that had a long-term effect had, you know, becoming an NBA play-by-play announcer in mind. So um, that's amazing. I, I got to ask when you go to Kansas, do you like, cause Jack and I, we don't have, um, I don't think any of us majored in sports journalism or anything that I know. Is that what you went into right away? And then you all, you like reached out to, uh, the athletic program say, Hey, do you have any spots open? Any, anything I can learn from you guys? Or um, like, how was your journey becoming a broadcaster in Kansas? Like, how did that go? So it started still in high school when I was a uh, sports director. Um, one of the career advisors that we had, we had a very nice high school. And when I was there in Iowa, we were really a, a top educational state. It's it's not the same anymore, but we had a career advisor and, and he said, listen, I think you should follow this dream. I've, I've looked up top journalism schools. Syracuse is obviously the Harvard of, uh, of broadcast journalism, but it, in this time, Kansas was a top five program. I think it still is. I, I definitely am positive. It's, it's high up so, there. Yeah. And so he was like, you should check these places out. And I had a friend whose brother went to Kansas and was in the journalism program. So I talked to him, I went down and visited and they were like, this is, this is the place. And, and I was a bit of a mama's boy back in those days. So going to Syracuse, first of all, I would not have gotten in Syracuse is it's tough to get in. It's a very academic school. And I did not have the grades that you would need to get into. So I had to go to a state, <laughs> state university and barely get in, but it was close enough to home and far enough from home that I would learn on my own, but could go back when I needed to go back. And uh, once I got to Kansas, I kind of got acclimated to the classes and, and just college life. And then it's not the it's not the sports program that you go to. It's it's the broadcast journalism for students. It's the student station, both television and radio. And it was I mean, it was it was competitive and it was a, an eye opening experience. For some odd reason, I felt that I was going to defy the odds. I was not very good. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a hard worker when it came to that stuff, but I was not talented on any level. I didn't feel but. I looked at everybody else and I thought, I'm going to get this. I'm going to make it. And I just kind of put my head down, got to work and 
you know, I became very obsessed with getting better and obsessed with listening to as many play-by-play guys as I could. And that's kind of how it all began at Kansas. And then you get out into the real world and, you know, it's it's a humbling experience. You get an adult dose of life real quick in, in this profession. At least you did when I graduated, which would have been back in the late 90s. Um, but that's kind of how it all began, you know, from high school and then getting into college and and, and just having a great education there to, to kind of set the stage for what you need to do in order to have success in this business. That's awesome. That's awesome. What uh, you said you liked listening to play by play guys. What were some of your favorites growing up and getting into it? So I listened to anybody. Uh, I would listen. I mean, literally anybody. But obviously, I would hear highlights from Chick Hearn, and it opened your eyes as to having a personality. And right as I got out of college, the internet became a big thing as far as streaming games, both television and radio. So I would just go down the dial of every NBA announcer, and I would listen to them and just be in awe of how they sounded, how they controlled their voice, how they just made it sound like the game was in slow motion. Guys, at that time that stood out to me, uh, he's now the voice, the TV voice of the Blazers at the time was the longtime voice of the Seattle Sonics. Kevin Calabro was the one in that day that I just was mesmerized by just how cool he was. And he would just quote movie titles and, and song lyrics within the game. And I'm like, that is amazing. How do you do that? I didn't know you could do that. And um, there was a baseball announcer doing basketball one time during the NCAA tournament. I think his name was John Rooney. I've never met John Rooney and I've never even, I wouldn't even be able to pick him out of a lineup, but I remember listening to him and he said, here comes Johnson across half court with a hip high dribble. And I'm like, you can describe how high the dribble is. And like all these lights just start turning on. So uh, I listened to everybody in the NBA. Kevin Harlan is one of my all time, all time favorites uh, for so many different reasons. But I mean, I listened to everybody. I've been influenced by everyone that's bit on it behind a microphone in the NBA over the last 30 years for real. Like I just take copious notes mentally and, you know, tangibly. And I'm like, this is how they do it. This is how they bring it in out of break. This is how they tell the score because part of being a play-by-play announcer is that you're trying to mix up saying, you don't want to say the same thing over and over and over again. You, you don't want to be repetitive and you want to have creative ways to say something. And I just learn every night, man. I, I, our, our league, I think has the best announcers and it's a, it's a masterclass every night to me. Yeah. I think one thing that you do that I noticed really well is that um, I think in a lot of things in regards to like journalism or media or TV is storytelling. I, I feel like it's something I noticed you do uh, like, I think right at like seven o'clock, when the pregame starts and you do like the voiceover and you go like our story, like I think the beginning of the season, you said like our story begins and every game after that, you say like our story takes us here or the next chapter of our story, something like that. I can't like remember it exactly, but I do remember you doing that and putting it completely away. And then like after the game, it's kind of like you're closing the chapter of the book and it kind of seems like something you do intentionally. I thought it was something really cool. I noticed that what you do. And then when you brought up the references, like you make up a lot of references to like pop culture, music, like other sports. I like the golf um, analogies. Like you'll say at the turn during halftime or and one uh, when they convert, you say they go up and down. So that's just something I noticed. I think is really cool that you do in terms of your style to me personally. Well, I appreciate that the the uh, our story resumes or continues or picks back up. I I I I uh, I grew up in the era of breaking news and uh, with like it, you only got your news from the six and the ten or now in in L A. in the West Coast at six and eleven, 
And our top story, is, and it's all your, 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 you were, I was always captivated by what the top story was. And I wanted to kind of do that again in, in an NBA fashion. Obviously, we're, we don't have any major problems going on. It's just kind of a more of a entertainment situation. But I appreciate you noticing that. I really do look at every game as a chapter and a season as a book. I really do feel that way. So when you go into these games, like you have a lot of great classic calls you made. I remember we were telling some of them to you when we met you uh, last season. Do you prepare the specific calls that you're making? Like, are you waiting for that massive highlight to happen? And you're like, okay, when this, when Kawhi dunks over this guy, I'm going to say this. Like, how do you go into that? No, I don't. I think about things, but I would never uh, premeditate. This is exactly what I'm going to say. Now, in a big game, like in a playoff series win, I will have thought of, well, how am I going to wrap this up? How am I going to put a bow on this to make it, you know, to dress it up and give it the attention that it deserves uh, after big games, but never for a specific play. Um, I've thought about things, but I've never thought like, okay, in this moment, I'm going to say it just like this. I think um, the best minds, and I mentioned Kevin, the Kevins, Kevin Calabro and Kevin Harlan, they just, they do so many things just off the top of their head. It is, I'm just in awe of them every night. Harlan, I, so one of the things I crossed paths with Kevin, he went to Kansas. I learned from the same teacher that he did. I had a lot more to learn than he did. Uh, but, but not only from Kansas, but um, I went to the Timberwolves and Kevin was, that's where he really kind of cut his teeth in the NBA. His first job back in the, in the late eighties was with his first NBA job was with uh, the Kansas city Kings. And then he went to Minnesota, but they had all of the games he'd ever done in a room, like literally 500 and I would just take them out. I'd take them out 10 at a time and I'd go home and I'd listen. This is before I was married, before I had kids. And I would just study every single thing he did. And the, the things that he would do just off the top of his head, I just was so in awe of, still am, even today when he's doing his things on TNT. And I learned that you just got to be, you got to be on the fly. You, you can't be writing things down. And it's obvious when people do it. There are people that are at a network level that will script something in a big moment. And it sounds, it's very cringy to me. And I, I try to stay away from that kind of stuff. But I do think about big wins or a big moment. If somebody's, you know, eclipsed a milestone or something that's worth telling, I will have thought about it, but definitely don't save anything for a specific play. Oh, that. I think that makes it even more impressive. Like when you say that, now I'm thinking of Kevin Harlan. I think when Kobe went baseline and dunked, I think he said like he sucked the gravity out of the building. That seems even more impressive now that it just came to him naturally. Or when um, I think when Jaw dunked over um, whoever it was in the playoffs and uh, Ian Eagle said a jawbreaker. Like I thought that, like I was like, he definitely thought of that before or something. Cause it was, I thought it was amazing. But now that you say it like that, now it comes to like your guys' mind. It's like insane how like natural it becomes. So now I'm thinking this guy is actually like um, these coffee puns come to you naturally. And I can't even believe that. And like uh, Reggie, when he dunks over Jokic, you say the guts of a daylight burglar. Like I'm in now that when you say it, it sounds so weird to me that I thought like you had like I I always had this vision that you're like at night like on your phone you're like well like what what's good with coffee. <laughs> oh, folder. <laughs> like, and then you're like, you're like, oh, that's perfect. It's soldier like rhymes with it. So it's like I well, I have put thought into some of these things. Okay. I, I I it isn't like all of a sudden he dunks and I'd sit there in a picosecond. But I mean, I've thought of a lot of these things, but I don't like say I'm gonna say it in this moment. It's just that I want to make sure that we're having fun. I want to make sure that uh it's not the same thing, it's not the same 
dunk call every time. I want it to be different every night. And I, I think a lot of us as announcers do do that. You do think about these things, but I, again, no one scripts it. No one's going right. to write down. I haven't said this in a while. Let me get it in here. And that th- th- you can tell when that happens. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was just, you mentioned um, Kevin Harlan's like one of your favorites right now. For me growing up, um, Mike Breen was, I think, the first like real announcer. Legend, like, absolute legend. Yeah. And he's also one of my favorites. And so is Ian, as you referenced yeah. earlier. Those are the guys that are this number one on my list. And then his son, uh, Noah, I think went to Syracuse, did he not, for – that broadcast uh, program you he did. Before. Yep, he did. Yep. So mm-hmm. he's got he's got the good genes. He's got the good background, and then he has a good mentor in you. So he he has like all this good. Um, he has a great support system at least for his career surrounding him. So that's going to be really exciting for him once he like you know uh, who knows whatever the next step in his career may be. But he does a really good job. Oh, he's he's phenomenal. And I I will I'll be honest with you. I have mentored him zero. Oh. <laughs> and, and, I, and it's not because I don't, I'm not willing. We had lunch about three years ago. He just moved out here and he was asking like kind of questions about like, you know, do I have to set up the equipment? Like what are equip, you know, what are the engineers like on the road? And then we started talking about play by play. And I knew within a minute that this guy knows as much, if not more than I do at his ripe age of having just come out of college. And I'll give not only Noah's just an awesome talent, awesome guy, super low maintenance, zero ego. Like you don't find that package very often. And his dad, we mentioned Ian is one of the smartest minds I've ever spoken to in this business about the X's and O's of play by play. And I know his, his intellect goes beyond that, but just from the conversations that I've had with, with Ian, I mean, it was, I mentioned this earlier, it was a master class. I had two hours to talk with him back three years ago, and it was unbelievably enlightening on how to handle situations. So Noah is well-versed, and I keep telling my boys who are 14 and 12, I'm like, when you have kids your age, Noah's going to be doing Super Bowls or Final Fours or all of the above. He's a he's he's skyrocketing to the top of the ladder whenever it happens. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, and it couldn't happen to a better guy. Mm-hmm. I think one thing you said that about Ian Eagle, his father's that he knows the X's and O's really well. Do you think um, I I've noticed some play by play guys, like they'll call out X's and O's like um, I can't think of uh, who it is, but like sometimes they'll be like, Oh, they're running a delay set or they go floppy into this. Um, do you, what's your opinion on like play by play guys, like calling that kind of stuff out? Uh, do you believe that they should kind of like leave it to like the color commentator or do you think it's like a good to show the versatility? What do you kind of think of play by play guys dipping into that? I've heard it. I always appreciate that they do it. I don't, I want to give as much latitude and space for my analyst to, to say something. And, you know, and, and part of what though, and, and, and maybe I'm different. I'm, I, I look at every game as an opportunity for education. I want, when I was growing up, I was so th- just thirsty for basketball knowledge. I couldn't get enough. And I'd watch those network shows on Sundays after the Super Bowl was done. CBS would take over, NBC would take over. And I just listened to guys like Mike Fratello and Marv Albert and just learn about the game. What is, how many offensive rebounds? are good. What's a good number for that? What, what deflections, what is a good field goal percentage? 
So I want to educate. I want the fans to be as educated. And you're you're educating a group of a different group. You're, you've got the diehards that know the plays, that know what's going on. They know what the rotation should be. You've got the guys that are just dropping in to see guys or gals uh, that are just dropping in to see what's the storyline. Why is Reggie Jackson struggling? I looked at his box score. Haven't seen a game. What are they saying about him? And then you have the people that I kind of reference as my mom who knows nothing. She knows maybe that a three-pointer is worth more than a two-pointer and that's it. And you want to reach out to them. So I think for me to be start saying, oh, they're running a delay action here on the right side with a four, you know, four or five pick and all. I don't want to do that. That's not, that's not my business. I'll let my analysts do that. And then if it sounds complicated, I'll ask them, I'll, I'll ask a question that maybe I already know the answer to, but should try to kind of dumb it down. I don't have to do that often because the people that I work with are super good at what right. they do, but uh, I kind of give the analysts as much space as they need. Yeah. That, yeah, no, that's definitely something. I feel like it's a good balance. Um, especially cause you have great analysts that know the game really well. We'll get into them in a second. One other thing I want to ask you is uh, Ralph Waller retired just before you took over. I want to know what were some things that he taught you when you guys were coworkers that you like, take away to this day or something that just stood out to you? Well, one thing that stood out to me with Ralph, and, and I remember when I was, I was probably in my third or fourth year um, doing WNBA basketball, not a full-time NBA guy yet. And I was going to practices. I was going to shoot arounds. I'm in my early twenties and I was showing up to games three and a half hours before the game tipped. And I ran into a veteran uh, that was, you know, there doing WNBA as well. And he said, don't worry when you get to my age, you won't care about practices and shoot arounds. You'll just show up when you need to. And I was so, I can't lie to you. I was so turned off by that. Like, and I thought, well, wonder if that does happen to everybody, but I just put this job on such a pedestal and the opportunity is so important. And, and it means a great deal to me. I was like, I wonder if everybody's like that. Well, I get to Los Angeles and I meet Ralph and I learn within five minutes. That's not this guy. This guy's demanding everybody get better, including himself. He's listening for critiques. He's sending out critiques. He's open to criticism. He's going to shoot arounds. He's going to practices. He's, you know, at the arena the same time I'm there. And it gave me like so much hope and appreciation, not only for Ralph, but like, if you love what you do, this is where you want to be anyway. And, and watching Ralph work, he works like he was on the plane up until two o'clock in the morning. We'd be, we'd be trading notes or whatever, and I love that he worked hard, but he played hard as well. So we'd be on the road and he lived life like he just lived life. And, and it sounds funny, but it's 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 um it's a great example. Like we, we'd go, we'd go on a road trip and we'd go out to dinner once or twice every road trip. And, and the Clippers were always great. They would allow Sweet Joe to travel with us. And she is one of my favorite people in the world. So the three of us would go out. I'd check out and be like, okay, I'm, I, I had my dinner and dessert. I'm good. And they'd go down the street and close the bar down at, in New York City at 4 a.m. And then he'd say, <laughs> can we stay out? Can we get one more drink? And it, it, I mean, he lived life. And then I, and I'd see him the next morning on the bus at 930 for the shoot around. And I'm like, how are you feeling? I feel great. I've never been hung over a day in my life. And I mean, he would just Jeez. live life. And it's, it's a good reminder that, you know, sometimes when the work is done, enjoy yourself. And he had that opportunity, uh, especially with his wife traveling. She loved to be there. The Clippers loved having her. And, and Ralph was, 
Ralph was in, in seventh heaven. So uh, those are the things that I remember, you know, there were certainly intricate things with play by play or how to, how to, you know, interview people. One of the things, and I've mentioned this before elsewhere, but I used to go up to players and have a microphone and be like, tell me about the game tonight. And oh, well, any given day, you know, they can play, we got to play hard, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you take that microphone away. Oh man, these guys are tough. Then they kicked our ass the last time we saw them. We've got to be much better when they know they're not going to be recorded. They are way more free. The wall comes down. I didn't believe Ralph when he said that. And when I took the job and I was offered the job in 07, I remember like knowing Ralph, I knew who he was. And I said, listen, you've got, you got a gold mine here of wisdom. Whatever he says to do, you have to try it. Even if you don't like it, or if he says you're not doing the right thing, you need to listen. And one of the first things he said, he's like, lose the microphone. Don't, don't interview people with mics. And I fought it with, I'm like, this is the worst advice I've ever heard. What's he, does he not know what we're doing? I need to have these stories. And he goes, you just go do it. And I fought it tooth and nail. And I don't know if this was a great subject, uh, a person to do it because they're so off the cuff and and without an edit button. But do you remember Chris Kamen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Chris is one of my favorite players. But we would do interviews and I couldn't use any of it because he was either cursing about the other coach or how he hated <laughs> this guy or that guy, or he'd be swearing all over the place. I loved him. He was awesome. He was awesome to deal with. He was a talented player. I miss him. He was really one of my favorite guys to be around. But I was like, man, I wonder if I had a microphone, if I would have gotten all that stuff. Probably not. And so it it was I, I went from disagreeing with Ralph with every fiber of my being to understanding that is how it now I never use a microphone. Now I, I go back and I quickly enter it into my notes so that I don't forget the highlights of the conversation. But Ralph was a wise guy and I was lucky to be able to spend time with him. And I think, geez, 07 to 29. So 12 years uh, we were able to be together and it was really great. It was just awesome. Yeah. That's a legend right there. It's so amazing that he's able to have so much fun, you know, off the court, quote unquote, and then then go and do be so amazing at his job and do it so well and just I can't have do that, that balance really well. You you yes. guys honestly have no idea. I can't. I mean, I I'll save it for my book if it's not already in his book that comes out in the fall. But yeah, it was. There are some unbelievable. I'm like, I cannot believe you, man. I cannot but get over. It. And <laughs> Joe was even better than he was. He she was unflappable. It was just. It was a lot of fun being around those two. That's sweet. So then what was it like, you know, being the radio guy for so long and then finally taking over once once he retired? What was that? What was that like for you? Truly an honor. Um, you know, I was uh, ultimately hired by Steve Ballmer and I know how much he cares about the organization. I know how much he cares about the presentation of the organization and to be given that honor, knowing what was coming around the corner in the sense of that the team was going to be very good. I don't think we knew Kawhi or PG were coming, but uh, I knew a couple months that I was going to, but before that, I knew that I had the job. Um, it's an honor. There's only 30 of these jobs in the world. I happen to, to have one in my favorite city before I moved out here, working for an organization that I'm beyond proud to be a part of. And having been here on both sides of the tracks is, I think, um, it just gives you even better perspective. You know, I was here for the the dark days, if we want to use those. And um, I have such a great appreciation from where we are now. And I know there's a lot of fans that were with us back in those days. And it's fun to kind of reminisce where we were and where we are. I'm just, I really, I really never take a day for granted. I, I, I do take things at times for granted, but I've never taken a day in this business with this organization ever for granted. I'm super blessed and I'm very aware of it. Yeah, it really is just like a huge family with Clipper Nation and like 
even just it feels so connected with the players, with the organization, the coaches, you know, the broadcasters like you. Like it really has just become a huge family. With I love it. I mean, I, were you guys there for the game six against Utah by chance? Were you guys lucky to I be there? I wish. I wish. I was there. I was there. It, yeah. It was. Uh, listen, and I'll be very honest. We're going to win a lot of titles over the next 20, 30 years. We're going to win multiple titles if it does. And it, it will probably start, in my opinion, very soon. That said, okay, I don't know if I will ever have a night where I was more proud to be a part of our family than I was that night because it was the first time we could all get together for a game. Remember during the That's pandemic, right. first full and, crowd, and everybody likes to talk about how there are no Clipper fans, and 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 I, I I look around, I'm like, I I don't believe that, but I you know maybe these people know what they're talking about. I don't believe it. Well, when that game ended, and I'm walking through downtown trying to get to my car, and it was loaded. It was like in a positive, it was just a riot of greatness, of positive energy and everybody yelling, let's go Clippers. Mm-hmm. I could not believe it. And it, it will, I don't know what will have to happen other than winning a title to have that replaced as my number one Clipper memory, but it was the most special night I've ever been a part of. And I think about that and I just, I just love our family. We're just, our fans mm-hmm. are realistic. Our fans are, are respectful of the other teams and, it's just a great group and I just love everybody. I love them all. Jack, Jack, before you go uh, real quick, I just want to add one more thing about game six. That was like the first game or the first time I've ever been in a sporting event where I felt like God was like in the arena. It, fe- <laughs> it felt like he willed every Terrence man. His name was Terrence man. Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> Have some respect, John. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, and I felt like so connected with everyone else too. So yeah, that was a great point. Uh, you made about that making everyone feel like a family. Well, Jack will have another moment. It's going to come pretty soon. Yes, I'll You'll be, be there. there. Don't even worry about <laughs> it. We're going to have other fun times. That one was just a really special one. Uh, and I just, again, I walked away just saying, man, I wouldn't want another fan base ever. This is the one. This is my mm-hmm. crew right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I was watching it on TV, but like I was with my whole family and we were just screaming at the TV, watching it. Like, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be there for the even bigger moment. So I'm a correct. I'll, I'll, I'll still, you're exactly. I'll, you're you're not gonna miss anything. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll still have the moments for it. So since you've taken over, being the play-by-play guy on TV, you've had a lot of different, you know, partners with you, different analysts. You know, Chauncey Billups, Jim Jackson, the Czar. You know, all these guys. What's your chemistry like with some of them? Like having to change and be with different guys. Do you have to adjust? Or, you know, what's what's that kind of been like? It's been awesome. Uh, and it, it, it is, I, I can't even put into words how awesome it has been. So uh, I watched Chauncey Billet. My first partner was Chauncey. My first, my first and second were Chauncey and, um, and Corey. And it's funny. I didn't talk to Corey much. I was intimidated when I first got here to talk to players that, that had been there for a while. And I didn't really talk to Corey all that much when he was a player for the Clippers. It was just, excuse me. It was just one year when I was on radio before he left for golden state. Um, but when I got to talk to him over the years, when he was doing pre and post, I'm like, this guy is like one of the nicest dudes ever. And Chauncey from afar, I watched, uh, playing, you know, uh, for the Pistons, he was in Minnesota. We crossed paths once in Minnesota 20 years ago. And, but he's just, you know, you learn about these people as, as human beings. And Chauncey is one of the smartest people I've been around. Corey is like the nicest guy. And now we've had more of a regular crew with Jim Jackson and Mike Fratello. And I don't want to be remiss, Don McLean. I've done a couple of games with Don. So with all three of those guys that I'm mentioning, 
you go back to when I was in high school, Jim Jackson is the, maybe the best college basketball player uh, in, in college in 1992. If it, if it isn't for, if it isn't Don McLean, it's one of those two guys or two of the best at that time. This is before your time, but this is when college basketball was at its peak. It was absolutely as good and fun to watch as the NBA, not only skill wise, but the drama with juniors and seniors who'd been there for a long time. And Jim was one of those guys. Don was one of those guys. So for me to be able to work with them, meanwhile, while I'm watching NBA games, it's Mike Fratello and Marv Albert calling those games on NBC. And I watched every one of them. I'd record them and I'd go back and I'd listen so I could learn the game and I could learn how to call a game. So now here we are 30 years later and I'm, I'm working with Jim Jackson, who's one of the coolest dudes ever. And he's incredible on the air, like just so smooth. And sometimes you guys don't get to see it. It's because he's so smooth, but he'll start a topic and our producer will get in our ear. Okay. Here comes the replay of Kawhi. And he effortlessly shifts it without making a dramatic like pause or anything. He can just shift right back to Kawhi and, and nail the highlight with, with the czar, you know, Jim and I can have a lot of fun with pop culture. The czar is not that guy. So the czar is really buttoned up and he's and he's just straight basketball. That's what he really wants to do. But I really tried to get under his skin with those coffee puns. And I, it, it would work every he would just kind of look at me and he's like, I heard you. Don't worry about it. And it would be <laughs> it'd be kind of an inside joke. And uh and then working with Don was awesome. I mean, his his basketball IQ is as high as anybody that's ever lived. And so I know everybody says this about their partner and the people that they work with, but I really have the best crew. I mean, even the guys in the truck are just a 10 out of 10. I, I mean, it is, I, I mentioned it earlier and I, I'll say it again. I've just been so blessed. I, I, I joke about it. I was either, I made a deal with the devil or I was born under a lucky star is one <laughs> of the two, because I have just had been surrounded by greatness at all times. And I really, I just try not to take a day for granted. I've been super, super lucky. Yeah, and I think what also can't be uh can't go unnoticed is that it seems like you guys have like a really great chemistry and all all your play or your color commentators were um a lot of them were part-time, I believe. I believe Chauncey may have also been going to ESPN a couple of times. Uh Jim Jackson, Big Ten, CBS, like the tournament, all that. Don McClain does some Pac-12, Czar, TNT, all that. Oh, Jim also did TNT, but you still like had like it was like they never left whenever they would come back into the booth with you. Jim, I think, has the best chemistry with you. Um, I think it's super. You guys are like a bromance. Like whenever I hear, <laughs> whenever I hear you guys, I was like, I'll, it's like such a funny uh, difference between you and the Czar. Like I love both, and like you and the Czar. Like I feel like one time he finally like did a coffee pun, and then you were like, "I'm so proud of you." And I felt like, I was like smiling. I was like, "I'm proud of him too." Like, uh, like he finally did that. But um, he will text me some of them every once. I knew yeah. we would reach peak levels when he, he Amir. This is the game that the czar wasn't doing, and he mm -hmm. he texts me during one of the breaks. He goes, "He's percolating." Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. I, yes. I think you mentioned that on the air too, which, <laughs> which is which is hilarious. But um. Also, some other thing, uh, one more thing I want to notice, because where you said you uh, ran into Chauncey Billups, I want to say Minnesota. I, I remember you made a joke one time. You're like, yeah, I once like had a job in Minnesota, but I'll never I'll never go back to them after what they said to me. And then you like wait. And then Jim didn't say anything. And then he was like, he's like, I know you really want to tell me. So just tell me. So what they say and you're like you're fired or something like that. <laughs> and I thought that was like, I don't know why. I thought that was the funniest joke I heard. Like, like on play by play. And it always like stuck with me for some reason, but it, it's always reminds me that you and him have like, to me, like the best chemistry next to like 
like Breen DeWalt, um, the Toronto guys, I think like, um, what do you call it? I can't think of the others, but there's like a lot of local pairings that have great chemistry and you and Jim are like, I think at the top of that. So I always love hearing you guys interact. With you uh, I love, other. I love all those guys. I really do. And it's easy to have, I really think chemistry is all about, you want the other one to have success. I mean, that's really what it comes down. I want Jim to talk as much as he wants. If he wants to talk for, I never like look into the producer. We have a camera that's right next to us. And I never, and I have a talk back, but I never, if they talk for 10 minutes straight, I wouldn't be like, yo, are we ever going to say anything here? I it's, it really does. They're the star of the show and they really are. And, and I'm, I just want to kind of elevate them. And when the game gets kind of sideways or there's a moment to have some kind of levity, make a joke or make an observation, but chemistry to me, and we have it with all these guys because we all want the other one to have their shine and have their moment. And, uh, we're all on the same page and, and the production crew is a huge part of that. Our producer, our director, and, and everybody that works in the truck is just, it's a huge team effort. And that was one of the, my favorite things about going from radio to television on radio. I'm, I was, I was pretty much everything. Uh, and I liked that. I loved that responsibility, but there's such a collaborative effort when you move to television from executive producers to producers, to analysts, to sideline reporters, and it's just super fun to be a part of a mix where everyone's pulling in the same direction. And, and one of the things about our job is that it's a career. It's something that we all love. Everybody that is involved in our show, this is what they wanted to do. So everybody's happy to be there. Everybody wants to be there. We all have days where we're tired or cranky or whatever. But by and large, it just it just creates such a positive atmosphere every single night that I just can't wait to get there. I'm super sad when the season is over. And I get really excited when it begins. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Another thing I wanted to ask you about your job, um, it's kind of a little shift of the gear. What is like, what do you think is the most overlooked thing that you do for your job by either like the audience or like your peers? What do you think that is like the toughest part that people don't uh, really notice? I don't know. Well, tough parts are when the game is really bad and it was really hard on radio when you're by yourself and you're in a gym with no energy from the crowd those are days where you're just exhausted. Like I get on the plane and I'm just like, people want to chat about the game or I'm just like, just leave me. I don't want to just leave me alone. I'm just going to sit over here for a while. Those are tough, but that's a small price to pay. It, it really is. I mean, uh, I do put a lot of prep work into a game six to eight hours, but I don't call that difficult. I enjoy going down rabbit holes. I enjoy trying to find something that, helps explain why the team is having success or not having success or why this rotation works and, and it doesn't work. And it helps me get some information that I can go to the coaches or I can go to the player and get a story out of it. Um, I, I don't know if any, I mean, the difficult part of our business is the competition to get the jobs. Yeah. I mean, that's really the hardest part. I think once you get there, it's up to you to make it great. And I love the prep. I watch these games that we do three or four times a year. Um, to make sure everything is on point, to make sure we're telling the right story and make sure that we're telling it cleanly and, and legibly so people understand what's going on. But the difficult part of my game, my, 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 my job is when the game is difficult. And that's, that's not, I'm not even going to complain about that. It's, it is what it is and still lucky to be there. Yeah. I, I think it's human nature. Everyone involved in a bad game is not going to be into <laughs> it because like, uh, mm -hmm. like scorekeepers are wanted to be over, um refs wanted to be over coaches wanted to be over it kind of reminds so it, it's funny you said that because it reminds me of the wizards the 35 point comeback game because that game just felt like it was dragging 
in the um in the first half and i feel like we could like tell just because that crowd was like it seemed so dead in there even from tv it seemed like even worse it was probably worse in in there and then even like as like the Clippers came back a little closer. I could kind of feel you. You didn't want to get too excited. Just, uh, just, you just want to make sure the nail was in the coffin before the, the actual like um, crescendo. When Luke hit the three, I felt like that was when every, like, you're like, this was well worth it. I'm glad I sat through this horrible game because now I got to like go crazy over that. Is that, was that a game where you really felt that struggle, especially in the first half? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, in fact, I think the czar and I were joking about how he's going to give us a marinara recipe and I'm kind of joking with it. But then the czar likes he's like he looks at me and he nods his head and he starts writing things down (laughs) on a piece of paper, like get good produce all about the store. I mean, he's literally getting ready for it. And then little by little. You know, we start coming back and, and it's whether it's the, the 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 30 plus point comebacks or the 20 point comebacks, I never believe it. Like, I don't believe it until it's like I'm like, oh, we're going to run out of steam or, you know, and especially that Wizards game. There were two or three times where we lost that game after we had come back. Like they I think uh, Bradley Beal hit a, a, a big shot and got fouled. And I'm like, ah, oh, there it goes there. There it goes. And it was fun to build up that energy. And then I'm like, Oh, it's going to go back down. And then we get right back into it. And then the most improbable things happened for that game to close out. But those games, but it's like, but picture that game staying at 35 points uh, and the whole time. And, you know, and the one thing though, that I try to do and Ralph was a master of, and I don't think anyone has come close to doing it is that when the game got bad, Ralph was able to shift gears and make it entertaining. It helped to have a guy like Bill Walton, but Ralph has his own personality and I, I, I think as broadcasters, our, our badge of honor for us is making a bad game entertaining. It might not be fun because your team is either lopsided winning or lopsided losing, but if you can make somebody laugh or have some kind of a, a start of an ongoing joke, those are the things that I try to really get after when, you, when the game is sideways. I really dig in. You're not successful all the time. You know, sometimes those games are just going to be ones you just don't ever want to watch again. But I try. I, I think there's more effort into those games. Obviously, the games that are good are easy, right? Mm-hmm. You just show up. Sometimes you don't even use your notes. That the game is just talking for itself. But those tough games are the ones that are hardest. But again, I, I don't want to even sound like I'm complaining. It's a, yeah. it's a gift. Yeah, best job in the world. Yeah, that Mavericks Clippers uh, 50 point game must have been very tough. <laughs> I feel like I talked to. Yeah, I think we had some funny things happen in that game with Jim and I. That was like our first or second game that we had done. And I knew doing that game after that game, I knew Jim was going to be awesome to deal with. And uh, yeah, that was a that 50 point. I, oh, that was a tough one. That was a rough yeah. one. I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need to talk about that. Um, let's, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I want to know, Brian, what's like uh, an off season like for you besides your kids being at school? Like, is there any prep that you do like before the season starts, like with either yourself or the production team? Like what, what's a typical off season for you? So I will, um, it's a good question. Most of it is like just family time. It's a lot of downtime. Uh, August is when I start to kind of ramp things up this year. I started doing it back in June just cause I got antsy. But one of the things I make a point to do is I watch every game, uh, out of order, out of context. I want to see it for the first time, like the viewer is seeing it. So I have forgotten what the store, like, for example, uh, we go to, I don't remember the game, Atlanta. We're in Atlanta. And I'm like, I don't remember anything about this game. Tell, let, let me see if I can get caught up or let me see if I need to know what I need to know by watching the open, by listening to me give the starting lineups. 
and then throughout the game telling a story. Oh, I forgot about that story. That's right. And it's a it's a tough, humbling process because many times I walk away thinking, what are you doing? Like, who are you fooling to be in this job? Like, that was a terrible job of telling that story or you didn't let me know. Uh, what Trey Young averaging against the Clippers and what's he doing coming into that game? Or why is Ty Lue going with this rotation? Why did you not ask that uh, post game, you know, to him so you could have that for, for today. And then there are times when you're like, man, we really nailed that game. That was fun. Jim was great. The Zara was awesome. Our, our graphics crew was terrific. And we really told that story well. So I try to watch all the games that we do. And, and I, it, the biggest thing for me is to see it for the first time. And by the time the season is over, it's all new to me. And I want, again, I want to make sure that the viewer is getting the information that I want them to have in a good way. Like I want them to know everything about the team and why this game is big or why it's not big. Why is this 10 point lead a huge deal for the Clippers? Why is Reggie Jackson scoring 20 points? Not a big deal for the Clippers. Those are the things that I'm trying to do. And when, that's my off season as I go through those games and I take notes sometimes mentally. A lot of times I'm typing them out to make sure, hey, you didn't smile in the open. You look kind of grabby. Make sure you smile in the open because you don't look very welcoming. I think part of our job is to be likable. Um, and and sometimes people don't look likable when, when I'm on camera. I'm like just kind of like very focused in about what I'm doing. I take those kinds of notes as well. Obviously, you're reading the stories that come out, you're following, you know, the free agency and all that kind of stuff. But as far as trying to improve the broadcast, that's what I do throughout the summer. And it really, it started in April. Honestly, I started going back in April. I was just so antsy to get back to it um, that I started in April and I'll probably finish it up here in the next couple of weeks. It's so interesting listening about like just how many X's and O's go into this and like how much work you put in and how you're able to see it. Like, like a basketball player might see the X and O's of the games. Like you're really seeing that with the broadcasting world. Like it's a whole world, a whole kind of skill you have to master. So it's so interesting hearing like the way your mind works with all that, like seeing something that maybe the, I don't know if the audience could really understand, but you are like, no, I need to be more welcoming. Like it's really interesting to hear you speak about that. Yeah, and some people might not notice it when I make the change for the better. They might be like, I didn't notice mm -hmm. anything, you know, and that's fine, but it's, it's, I know what I want our show to look like. And, and a lot of nights it looks pretty good. Everyone around me is awesome. Like I always, I always tell our producer, I'm the weak link. So when I'm watching these games, I'm criticizing myself. If I think we stayed on a story too long, uh, I'll let you know. But I always consider myself the weak link of everybody. Everybody that I work with is a network announcer. Uh, we have network production crew. Like I, I'm the one that's trying to, 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 to stay up with them. And um, I take it, I do take, I try to take the job very seriously. I take the prep very seriously, but the second we get on the air, I don't take it seriously. I want to have fun. I want to unplug from that world. All the prep that we've done and all the, the studying that I've done on these games, I want that just to come out naturally. Now we're just having fun. And I have fun every night, but then sometimes I go back and I watch the game and I don't have as much fun as I did on the air. But uh, I feel that if if my, me and, and our analysts and our crew, if we're having fun, I think somebody else is having fun out there as well. Well, we're absolutely having fun watching. I feel like you have a great balance of like giving the basketball knowledge and info. And then, like you said, having fun, showing the personality, making making everyone laugh and making it a great time to to watch the game, even if maybe it's not going bad. And so, yeah, we, we really appreciate that. And and I, I was also interested in like, do the players ever give you feedback on on your calls that they hear? Like, do you fly with the players? Like, what's that? What's that experience like? 
we are on the charter, uh, which is it adds years to your life. It is <laughs> amazing. And I just ride the coattail of giants. I'm not, you know, we get treated just like they do in that regard with the hotels and the per diem and the flying. Uh, but I'm just riding on their shoulders. That's for sure. Uh, a couple of times a player will come up and be like, I heard that that was hilarious. Or, um, <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think when I was in the minor leagues, I had it the opposite way. I heard this and I didn't like it and they were wrong, but, but I have to be, you know, I got to go back to these guys. So I just apologize that they didn't like what I said. I, it was something about free throw shooting or whatever. Um, but, uh, it's the coaches are the ones that will hear it. Uh, and you know, doc would say some stuff every once in a while in all fun ways in, in fun, in fun ways. Um, but when the players get the video that the, 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 they're all edited out so that you don't hear any audio, but they hear it from their parents. And it was really fun this year. I got to meet Amir's parents or his mom, uh, Luke Kennard's dad, uh, and a couple of others, but they were all in a, it was fun. It, it, uh, Terrence man's mom. They were all very complimentary, which made me because I, you know, sometimes I go out there, especially with with the mere coffee. He's been such a great sport about he likes it. His mom likes it. So I was always wondering, like, what would a parent come up and say? You suck. <laughs> I'm always waiting. For that. <laughs> you're awful and uh, you're stupid or whatever. But uh, it's been very positive and um, it's been very good. I've just like I said, I've been very lucky. So they um, you get you say you get treated just like the players do. Um so in the way that we travel in the way in the that we travel. Yes. So you get like the five, the great hotel rooms just like them as well. Like it's pretty nice. Like I said, it's, it's, um, it, you know, yes. The answer is yes. We stay in, in incredible places. Um, you know, when we go to, we, we had training camp in Hawaii for three years, we stayed at one of the best hotels there. It's part of the NBA collective bargaining agreement. So it, it oh, isn't, okay. it, it, it's, it's, you know, and because we are, lucky to be part of the travel party. And there are some teams that are not their broadcasters travel separately. And I don't, like I said, I don't take it for granted. I understand that that could change tomorrow. Um, but we have been very lucky and we, so we fly charter, we fly out of a private terminal next to LAX. There's, you know, security is very, you know, it's easier for us to get through. And then our bags are, if you want them to be delivered to your room, I always try to help the equipment managers out and take my own stuff. But, you know, we, we, we are, you know, Steve Ballmer takes care of his travel party and especially the players. I mean, and it is, you know, it's been interesting over the last few years, we've had people, coaches, players, you know, front office execs or people in kind of my, my part of the plane be with different teams and they've come with the Clippers and they've all said like, this is crazy. Like, the way that the Clippers travel versus the way this team travels and this team travels and this team travels. It's night and day. This, this is really like the best I've ever seen it. And it, it, it has everything to do with Steve and Lawrence. Doc Rivers deserves a ton of credit for making the players first. That was not always the case. When I first started, it was rather embarrassing. And, and now it is, it's almost an embarrassment of riches. It's in the sense of the way that we are catered to by we that just the overall travel party and the players are deservingly. So it's just really, we're very lucky. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's definitely night and day from the 2020 to 2021 season. So like the season right after the bubble, like you guys uh, definitely didn't have like that kind of travel. What was, um, what was that like when you were going, like, it was like, I, I assume strict protocol masks on all the time, stay in like your hotel room. Uh, obviously you pro probably have a lot more freedom now, uh, but what was it like when the last season or the season prior to that, where you were more restricted? 
So it'd be the 20, what is this year? It'd be the 2021 season. Is that the one you're referencing? The one where it started off with no fans. Yeah, that's so the one. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was. So we didn't travel at all that year. Uh, we were calling games remotely. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was very challenging. It was hard to be accurate. Uh, I had no extra information, so I never. I didn't talk to. There were players I didn't ever. I never met um, until until training camp in last September. Like I had never talked to Luke Kennard. I hadn't uh, talked to. I mean, I, I I could go down the list of the players on that team, but it was very difficult from that standpoint. I, I like to try to bring something to the table that the fan cannot get just reading the paper, but because our access, understandably so, this is not me complaining, was limited beyond belief. I had no access to players or coaches other than my interview with Ty Lu, who didn't know me well enough to like give me, and I, I respect this, like he's not going to tell me trade secrets over a zoom interview like we're doing right now when there would be three or four other faces he'd never seen before my producer and, and, uh, and all those people for the pre and post show so it was very challenging in that regard i, I just felt empty i felt like i was missing storylines i felt like it just wasn't a great show it was as good as we could make it i was proud of that year that we did uh Without fans in the building, I, I mean, not only do I just love them in general, but they add to the show. They give me energy. They give the show energy. They are something that is a is a major element on radio and on television. And there was some talk that we might not travel, and we call these games remotely, which would put us kind of back in the same spot where I'm not going to have the access. And you know, there's going to be a million things that have to happen for me to say, I don't want to do this anymore. There's going to be a million that I have to check off a million different boxes, but I got one of them. I was like, I started the process of like, do I want to do this? If we're not going to travel, like my favorite thing is having a story. No one else has. My favorite thing is talking to players and you know, the, the diehard fan that's been following this team that wants to know what's going on. I, 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 I don't have that information anymore. And it's not, this isn't fun. It's not fun to just show up give you the score, tell you who's just the leading score. I mean, we had no access and thankfully we're back out on the road. We have access and, and I'm, I'm, I just, I love what I'm able to do. So it was very, very hard and it was not a lot of fun. And I feel like the shows were very good, as good as they could be, but I just felt like so much was left on the table. I felt like we were working at 20%, but we're back to normal now and mm -hmm. it's, it's much better. Yeah. It, so you genuinely kind of like almost thought, sorry, you generally kind of almost felt about like stepping away because the fun was kind of taken out of it. Like I said, there's a million boxes that I would have to say. I, I love what I do so much. There's a million mm -hmm. things that would have to happen in my mind for me to say I'm out. I've never thought of any of them ever until that season. And I'm like, this is this this isn't fun. I mean, we're just sitting, we're just sitting here talking about a game that we're not at. I have no idea what's going on with the team, what happened today in shoot around. What's the storyline? Everyone knows the storyline because we only had access to the players as a group. Everyone, so it's written about, it was blogged about, it was tweeted about two hours before I'm even on the air. So everybody that's interested already knows. So it really it just took the inside information away. And I just I love that element of what this job does and when you didn't have that it was just like what's the spark what's the what's the thrill that you're going to have it's not going to be in, in opposing arenas and you guys hit a game winner and you get to be the one that's excited in the crowd that's going to be gone because you're going to be sitting in a in a truck outside of staples center 
So there's a million, like I said, there's so many things that would have to happen for me to consider not doing it anymore, but not being on the road is, is a big one. And I'm just, I'm very glad that we're back. I'm glad that we're back out on the road. Mm -hmm. And plus you have a great situation traveling too, because, and and I need to say that the Clippers are, are, I'm so thankful they put us back on the plane because mm -hmm. they could have easily said, look, man, this is, we got, we got players to take care of their priority one. You guys are flying commercial. And I, I would get that. I understood it. And, but they are awesome. They have put us back on the plane and it's, it's like 2019 again. And uh, I'm forever grateful that the Clippers have done that. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming most of it is, uh, because they have such a great owner, governor, and leader in Steve Walmer. What's he like as an owner, um, like actually being to work for the organization? We hear in the media, he's the best owner in sports, the richest owner in sports. But what, what is he actually like as an owner? I mean, uh, you, you, you literally, textbook definition could not have a bigger juxtaposition from one owner that we had to, to Steve Ballmer. On, I can't, on every level, let's start with basketball. Um, if it means he's got to pay the luxury tax for a player that's not playing but has some chemistry in the locker room, he's going to pay an extra $10 million for this player. He's going to pay that player 10. He's going to keep the player on the team as opposed to trading him and staying under the luxury tax. Uh, if if the front office comes to him with what they think are pretty good ideas and they're going to cost money, he's going to say, tell me why it's a good idea. I agree with you. Let's go get it. Let's go get it done. Um, then you Then you talk about his community involvement. Like, you know, he's got all the money. Obviously he's the richest owner in sports. And I've said this before. I think that's like his third or fourth best attribute as an owner. And I mean that sincerely. He's competitive. He loves basketball. He lets basketball people make basketball decisions. And he, and, and he listens to what they have to say. And not every owner does that. And in fact, if you look at the teams that have won titles, I would imagine those owners are letting those guys make those decisions. It's the teams that, and I may or may not have worked for one that, doesn't listen to the basketball ops because they're looking at the bottom line before they're looking at, you know, well, does this give us 10 wins and a chance to, to get to the conference finals or a chance to win a title? The community involvement with, with Steve and Connie Ballmer is, it is so incredible. And it's, it's almost overwhelming again, especially when you compare it to what happened maybe 10, 15 years ago, but look at what's happening in Inglewood, the money that's being infused in Inglewood, not only just bringing into a dome, but he's, he's, putting in 80 to hundred million dollars on top of that into the economy. And he's making sure that he's taking care of his home. Uh, his, his donations that he makes from a political standpoint are all in the right places. I mean, it's just, again, going back to what we had before, there were days when it was somewhat embarrassing to be a Clipper. Whenever that owner was in the news, you just knew it wasn't for a good reason and it never was. And, and, I remember the only times I was ever jealous is when we played the Lakers and Dr. Buss was still with us and you would see such, such a discrepancy between the two LA teams. And it was just, it was, a, it was embarrassing um, quite honestly, from a salary standpoint, from the way that the, the presentation was and with what he was willing to do for the team and the players and all that kind of stuff to now there's such a level of pride that I have having been here for as long. I'm just super proud to be a Clipper. I really am. And, uh, if you're a Clipper fan, you should be proud as well because we 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 have time will time will show that he's the best owner in sports by winning championships. You, you still have to do that, but the way he has shaped this organization to being where it is, it was destitution and it was it, it was brutal to be here 10, 15 years ago. Now people want to be here and they understand why he's, he is a huge reason of why the Clippers are going to be successful. 
And you just can't say enough things about him and how great he and Connie are in the community as well. That's really where I get the most pride, you know, being a Clipper and, and working under Steve Ballmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a really good answer. I wasn't expecting like for you to go with all that, but that was like a phenomenal <laughs> answer. <laughs> that, yeah, that's your that's your great me- uh, your media mind, and then plus like having actual like seeing the actions um, of what he's done. You've seen the change um, night and day from all that. Um, and and this whole interview with you, um, I just want to say thank you for me and Jack that you've been giving us great answers. To me, we've had Luke. Uh, Terrence Mann, Kawhi's trainer, Clint Parks. Like we've had great guests, and I feel like this is this one we had like the most in depth detail, like the best back and forth. So I just want to say thank you for that. And for our last question, I just want to say, um, I just want to ask, do you have any like personal goals going into this season? I know uh, us rooting for the Clippers, we have basketball go- goals, but do you have any personal goals going into the season? Oh, I'm always I'm I'm obsessed with getting better at my job. Uh, I mean to the point where I lose sleep after I feel like I had a bad game. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do that for the rest of my career, but I just want to try to get better every day. I know that sounds cheesy, but it's the honest truth. Like I said, I watch these games. I watch them right after I do it. I'll watch it when we play that opponent the next time. And then I come back to it in the summertime to see where we're at. Uh, that's my number one goal. Every time is, is to get better. It's an obsession uh, it's cost me years of my life because I worry about it all the time. I know that's, like I said, it's a cheesy stocky answer, but that, that is the honest truth of every day. I just want to, I want to be able to feel great about what I've done. Uh, I'm always prepped. It's a matter of delivering that preparation, uh, to the people where they can understand it and have a fun time hearing it and being entertained in the, in the same time. So this year will be, I think easier because when it, when the team is really good, uh, it, it's, it's, everybody loves the messenger, right? You know, last year was one of my favorite years. 2019 was one of my favorite years, but, um, this year I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I just want to be as good as the team is. Yeah. Well, you inspired me. I used to never listen to my podcast cause I hated hearing myself stutter <laughs> <laughs> and, and every time I messed up. So, but maybe I might have to listen to this one again and get better. <laughs> it takes some notes down. You but. were perfect on my end. I thought it was great. Thank you, Brett. Uh, again, thank you again for showing up here um i know well you are probably not busy right now because the option but i know uh you, you are can, correct yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just want to be polite but but thank you again for joining us me and jack were thrilled to have you um even after meeting you you're you're as good as the person as you've seen you are on tv and when we met you just outside the bathroom so uh, <laughs> thank you so much uh where can these people find you on social media if they want to i'm not super active in the off season but it's at b seaman uh on twitter uh, hot damn ink on Instagram. I just don't understand Instagram. I'm not great at it. <laughs> I just am not good at it. And I'm not, I don't like how I look. So I never take selfies that I just, I think is what Instagram was made for. So, but I'm there. I, I do see other people. I'm very uh, active on Twitter as far as uh, watching and, and seeing mm-hmm. what's going on. Uh, I may not tweet as much. I always say, this is the year I'm going to start tweeting. And then I start a tweet and I'm like, nobody cares what you're saying. Just, they do. Just stop. They, De- do. they do. They just delete. Do, just yes. delete. So <laughs> maybe this year, but I've said that for the last 12 years. So I don't, don't get your hopes up, but I'll be there. I'm in, and I, I see a lot of comments. I always appreciate them. Uh, I don't like to, to, to draw attention to them, but I do appreciate uh, all the kind words that some people have said. And, and it's, it, it does, it does make me feel better and, and makes me feel good. So like I said before, I love our family. I wouldn't trade them for anything. We've got the best fan base in the league. I really believe that. 
we'll seriously go. brian we love you like when ralph yeah, i mean we true. obviously love ralph he's at least the legend and then when he retired there was definitely a sense of like okay the legend ralph is retiring but like no one could possibly be better to take over him than you like you you are, are you too are the kind best. thank you very thank much you. i appreciate thank that. you thank you yeah yeah so th thank you again b seaman on twitter hot damink on instagram jack is jack clippers on twitter I don't remember your Instagram, so I'm not going to say it. Um, nah. I'm courtside underscore clips on Twitter. Thank you guys again for listening. As always, rate, subscribe, give us feedback, and thank you for all the support. So as always, go Clips.